Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So this is our urine episode. Yeah. So, hey, Dave. Hey, Holly. How are you? I am as well as can possibly be. How are you? Good. Welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. 2020 is <laughs> over. Congratulations. We made it. 2020 is over. We made it. We're, we're hanging hanging by a thread. <laughs> no, actually, I wouldn't say that. I think for, for, for the What Difference Does It Make podcast, it's been a pretty good year. It has. Not as nice as last year at this time. I remember we poured some champagne. We were in the in the garage together. We uh, we drank, uh, yeah, had, had a drink or two, and <laughs> talked about good times and looking forward to the to 2020. And who knew where we were headed? It's kind of who cool, knew? Kind of weird. Uh, we had to. We made a pivot. We like were ever- actually together at this time last year. Uh- yeah, I know. Um, I was looking at our top 10 episodes for 2020. By the way, we are now part, one of the changes we made, we're now, we are now part of the Pantheon podcast family, which is nice. Uh, Super cool. Yeah. So they have a list of the top 10 episodes. And you would think of, we interviewed some amazing people. The ones that, uh, that people seem to gravitate to are like compilation type episodes. Of course, Christmas. Zoe is top of the list, but then we have 1983 pop culture and um, Halloween, and then we have um, we have our Eddie Money and Rick Ocasek uh, tribute is on our list. Um, for some reason, the Brits are represented. Um, our friend Nick Bedding, promo, record promotions guy, is on there twice, as is Dan, the sound man McGrath. He's on there, and Trevor Steele of the Escape Club. That's those are. So it's kind of interesting that, uh, that those are those are our favorite. It seems like compilation. So what we are doing for this episode is making a compilation of everything that happened in 2020. We're going to remember Holly back in the day when you tuned into Happy Days or Welcome Back, Cotter, and you're you're like, oh, good, a new episode of this, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, they're they're looking back and they're doing flashbacks of like, remember this when this happened when Mr. Cotter told that joke to to his wife and. It's a clip. It was a clip episode. It was a clip episode. So that is what this is going to be. We're going to do a clip episode of some of our favorite moments from 2020. <laughs> uh, the, these episodes that I mentioned from <laughs> that are in our top 10 weren't necessarily from the new year. I mean, for us, it was kind of out of necessity. We, we started to experiment with Zoom and uh, it was nice to realize like, oh, if you ask, sometimes some people will say yes to <laughs> two interviews we we had a, some some really nice interviews that uh, and we're gonna we're gonna play some highlights uh from that i haven't um, seen you in nine months 
right? That's unimaginable. I could have had a baby in the time that we haven't seen each other. Well, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) If I was of childbearing age. We were drinking, but nothing else (laughs) happened, people. Calm down. This is not that type of podcast. No, you you feel free to edit that out. (laughs) I didn't mean I could have had your baby. (laughs) I just could have had a baby. (laughs) Nice. So we've been looking back uh, at at what we did in 2020. We started out in 1983, like like any normal year, we wanted to do, look back at, at the year 1983 and do the countdown and then go into 1984 and do the countdown and just kind of count down things on K-Rock because that's what we did. And maybe talk to Craig Rosen once in a while because he's our, he's our resident music expert. Yeah. Friend of the show. He, he was, uh, we did a few, he, we brought people into the garage to talk. And so, because that's the way we wanted it. We wanted to and look people in the eye and say, hi, hey, how are you? So do you remember, we actually did before the pandemic started, we had three interviews in the studio in in the garage do you remember who they were well of course we had our uh, friend of the show craig rosen in there we did have your friend and now friend of the show jc douglas mm-hmm. and um and then we had my friend and drummer extraordinaire as we call him glenn sobel alice cooper drummer so that was cool we didn't even talk about being in the studio with with Joe Perry and Alice. What what is that about? Geek out. A lot of late nights. Uh, yeah, Hollywood vampires. A couple of them literally are vampires. Johnny Depp and Joe Perry. They they like to work late. And the very first demo recording session I did started at like one thirty in the morning because I had a gig way down in Anaheim. This was Nam a couple years ago the NAM convention week. And I was playing with Richie Sambora down there and I was called to do this session to, to guarantee me, lock me in for the record. It was Tommy Hendrickson, New York guy, you know, he's like, dude, I need you to come down for this, this session. We got to make sure and just that make sure they know that you're the guy for this record, you know? And when is it Wednesday? I can't, I got a gig. He said, doesn't matter. Come after. I said, it's in Anaheim. If I come after, I won't get there till one thirty in the morning. He said, perfect. They're just getting going at that time. <laughs> And yeah, I showed up like one thirty, whatever. And by the time I got recording, maybe it was closer to two thirty or three. And Johnny said, "Like play something impossible." And I thought, "Like no problem," because I'm really out of it. I just played a long gig. It was with Richie <laughs> and several other artists. It was one of those gigs where I was backing up many people. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's good to be burnt out because your guard is down and you're not trying to do anything. You're just doing it, and. I guess it went well enough to where Johnny and Joe, you can get a thing called demo-itis where you get just married to the way the demo sounds. And when it, when it comes time to do the actual record, you don't want to change anything. You love the demo. And so I had to write down exactly whatever I did at three in the morning and replicate it on the actual record. But there were several nights of that, those demo sessions that would, that would go late and I'd be like nodding off and saying, all right, I'm going to get out of here. And Joe would be, oh, you're not leaving yet, are you? <laughs> no, I guess not. Okay, what's next? And- it was so much, it was really fun having people live in the studio. Great, inter- all three of them were great interviews. It was really fun. So then, Gather. boom, Craig was actually our very last interview before the pandemic hit and everything shut down. Yeah, and I remember then- him talking about, because he loves Costco, that uh, <laughs> he was going to go to Costco after our interview. 
And he was a little worried because, you know, things were brewing and he was worried about long lines and, you know, how he, Shortage how he was going to toilet paper. Yeah. How he's going to get through that. So everything kind of pivoted after we got through. We finished up K-Rock 1983. We had a few guests in the studio and we kind of had to pivot. It kind of ended up, bene- not kind of, it definitely ended up benefiting us. We got to talk to a lot of people, a lot of artists, a lot of authors, director, you know, film directors, because a lot were available. And once we started doing our podcast on Zoom and we kind of got the hang of it and we, you know, got used to how it worked, we started booking a lot of interviews. And I'd say we we did some really fun ones and some that we might not, artists that might not have been so readily available uh, if it was a quote unquote normal year. True. How many, how many interview shows did we do this year? Oh, I didn't even count them. Thirty? How many? <laughs> You're supposed to guess low. What, like 10, 15? <laughs> okay. 20? We did, tw- we did 25 interview shows and how many guests? 25. We did, <laughs> no, for, uh, 40 no, guests. Over, we did full bands. Yeah, over 40 guests. So that was, was kind of cool. Like, like if you would, if we had started this new year and we had looked at, oh, you're going to talk to Kathy Valentine. You're going to talk to Jefferson Starship. You're going to talk to, you know, rock and roll hall of famer, uh, Doug Cosmo Clifford. You're going to talk to, you know, rock and roll hall of famer, David Freeberg of the Jefferson Starship. You're going to talk to Chris Franz from the talking heads. Yeah. It would have blown my mind. Yeah. And still does. Josie Cotton. Josie Cotton. I know we had some really, so it was fun that we kind of reached out to our friends initially, like Glenn Sobel and like the Pandoras. All of a sudden I discovered that you're a friend of the drummer from the Pandoras. Yeah. Like, oh, that's that's amazing. Let's uh, let's talk let's talk to the Pandoras. Okay, so pa- Paula Paula uh, started playing music when she was 14 years old. She played accordion and Kim Fowley told her, "Hey, you need to start a band." And Kim Fowley, <laughs> of course, famously is he he started up the Runaways and Correct. Absolutely. Okay. And Paula just loved the Runaways. It okay. was like her favorite band. And and so Kim Fowley said, you know, you need to start a band. So Paula went out. She bought a, a Fender Mustang bass and she started a band called The Rage with Don Williams. And that's kind of that's where Paula got her start. And she was really young in the scene and, and she started doing that. And then she uh, started the direct hits, who then turned into the action now. And then um and then started the Pandoras. That kind of led to other. It snowballed. And, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. that that was a that was a good start. And then all of a sudden, we we started to go into uh, you know reach out to people we didn't even know that or we didn't realize that we might have a connection to. Oh, what about Mark Goodman? Mark Goodman, one of, I think probably one of my favorites. Nobody knew what a VJ was supposed to do. And we all were just trying to figure it out. You know, the funny thing, when I look at, at the tapes from like the first couple of months, it looks, the set looks bare. I mean, it was mm-hmm. supposed to look like some loft where the five of us lived. You know, like, like the monkeys, monkeys or, something. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I look at it now and it was barren. I mean, there was like a bike leaned up against the wall and that was it. And 
over time we we gussied it up quite a bit and and put a lot a lot more stuff in there made it a little more sort of homey uh, i noticed once we came on in manhattan which was a year into us broadcasting we weren't on in manhattan so the the five of us weren't able to watch mtv for the first year uh, people in new jersey and on long island and all around mm-hmm. us were were seeing it so we didn't it's hard to imagine if you're just doing the wraparounds you know we didn't see the videos we were just doing our segments yeah. and i once it came on i kind of noticed that it felt like everything came to a screeching halt for our segments because you come out of these videos that were there was all kinds of stuff going on and explosions <laughs> and actors and makeup and lighting and slow motion and there we were and so <laughs> i came up with the idea of moving at some in some way when they when they came to me in the studio and i did that for a while and some of the others i think started to to do it as well and then i started to notice well crap it looks like we're running all over the set what's, what's, <laughs> what am i running all over the place for so we that was just one of the things that we tried to figure out do you have like favorites so what was i'm going to ask you right yes. now because this is a clip show yes. so let's let's start with uh with one of your favorites, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll play a clip or a memory from from that moment that you got okay. to talk. I swear to you, this is the honest truth. I have enjoyed every single one of these interviews we've done, and sometimes you know you would hit me, you know you would message me and say, "Hey, do you want to talk to so and so?" And I'd say, I always say yes because I love the opportunity. But I think, oh, I don't know how that's going to apply to us, or is it going to be the most interesting for our audience? But I have to say, I think. Really, every interview we've done has been a blast, you know, for me at least, and I think for you too. And I think our audience have, have, have enjoyed from the feedback I've gotten, have enjoyed. So that being said, when we got Kathy Valentine, Kathy Valentine wrote a, a, a memoir this year, had a memoir published. I, I was giddy because, you know, the Go-Go's were my life when I was, you know, toward the end of high school. That was a lot of fun. The first song I wrote in L.A. was Can't Stop the World, and it really melded my external situation with what I was feeling inside. And in my book, I write, that's where I really became a true musician, because not because I could play the scales up and down the neck uh, 20 miles an hour, but because I was able to make a musical expression out of what I was feeling uh, and filter my external circumstances through music. So once I did that, I was off and running, and, and writing songs has been my my go-to for many years. It's quite a therapy. But Can't Stop the World ended up, not only did my band The Textones do it, but the Go-Go's put it on the first album, which was wonderful for me because I was the last member to join, and that album easily could have not had any songs by me. Okay, clip show. Time to take a, uh, a potty break, and we will be right back. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. We're so happy to be able to reflect on the year and share some of our favorite bits. So we're fans, we're huge fans, as we are of a lot of the artists that we've interviewed this year. But talking to them as a fan, but also talking to them as a professional, I think is a benefit because it gives us a greater ability to really get at what we think our fans, the fans of our podcast, our listeners want to hear. If I want to hear it, I assume they want to hear it. 100% correct, so which I'd like to think. Um, and by the way, <laughs> this is a good opportunity to to suggest to listeners to, to help contribute to our podcast on social media. When you make comments on our episodes, it helps us tremendously. If there's you know, any type of feedback or something that you hear from an episode, like when we talk to Chris Franz or Kathy Valentine or, or, you know, even Craig Rosen, you know, we want, we want to know what you, you think. And it, it always, it makes our podcast better. You know, we'd like to know what you think about our, our podcast. It's nice when you see likes, it's even better when you can type out 10 words saying, I love this part where you talked to Kathy Valentine about so-and-so. Right. Or tell us what you don't like and we won't do it again. <laughs> Well, exactly. Get some feedback. Help us help make us a better podcast. And thank you. Okay. So what about Jefferson Starship? So that was one lifting up the curtain. We liked their new album, but we weren't sure if this was right for us. And to bring in all five members of the band, like, oh my God. Okay. How are we going to control this? Easily top five, top three, uh, one of our shows. They made it so much fun. And it was great just to be, you're almost like, uh, for us, it was like being a fly on the wall because, you know, it's this band, they have this band dynamic Mm -hmm. and hearing them talk back and forth. And a lot of times Holly and I just stood back and like, all right, let's just let these guys talk. And and because it's kind of, it's kind of fun hearing, uh, you know, it's almost like locker room talk. This is just, you know, (laughs) them just going back and forth uh, with each other and and enjoying each other's company because they are a band. They have this history together. Freezing and oh, it was terrible, but fun. You aren't a fat enough lady. You aren't fat. You got to have a fat lady for that. <laughs> oh, come on. I can, I can Not hang you. in there with the best of them. No, you can't. You can, your voice can. Yeah. <laughs> you are, you've been singing a lot lately because I'll tell you what, your voice on the, the anthem that we did or you did, um, you were killing it, man. 
Oh, yeah. thank you. I mean, your voice is so strong. We we need to get together. Let's yeah. make a band, guys. Yeah, let's get a band together. Let's record. It, it all happened here. It took place, it started yeah. on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Oh my god. Yeah. I love no. that we just all started talking and you guys didn't even get to do an intro at all. Or yeah. did you guys are so cool. I really don't know who we're talking to. <laughs> Hi, Holly. Who are you? How does the show start? Yeah. We, we, we actually we usually tell you that we're going to, we, we have a, a, an introduction that we do and then one of us will introduce you. But since we all started talking. No, I think it's, we, I think we it's we great. Each you, other, you guys, exactly. No? You haven't seen each other in a while. This is probably the only time no. you guys see yeah, each other. We haven't seen each other since yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So yeah, we zoom constantly. Oh, Sam <laughs> came on, and they just took our show over completely. <laughs> yeah. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. What's this talk about a show? I thought we were just hanging out. That was such a fun episode and such a great experience interviewing all you know, getting to talk to all of them. Um, yeah, we had other band bands. We had the Immediate <laughs> Family. It was crazy, and that was one where I I feel like. It took a while for them to warm up to us. They're like, yeah. okay, what are we getting into? You know, we did two episodes with that. I feel like part two was a lot better than part one. Yes, And that, definitely. you know, it was a little, not chilly, but just, uh, but, you know, it was tepid, the first episode. And then, and then uh, you know, as we talk further, they kind of, again, they worked, talked back and forth with each other, and they involved us in the conversation. And so I think that helped that episode and just, you know, made me love the these amazing musicians. And, you know, Danny Korchmar, Leland Sklar, Russ Kunkel, Wadi Wachtel, and Steve Postel, all amazing musicians in their own right. And together, they just make the, the this amazing music. Something about watching the band that bring, you know, playing over and over that brings you the comfort, you know, not in, not so much enthralled with the celebrity of, you know, the singer, whoever it might be. But there is something comfortable about it. Yeah, yes. there's, that's, it's like we, we're we the immediate family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is really, this always be there. transcends just the, the title of like an album or anything like that. It really is it is a philosophical name. This first time I saw, like when Danny put down, you know, Danny Korshaw and the immediate family, I thought that's the perfect name for this because yeah. we really are a brotherhood together. And uh, and the thing that's to me is wonderful is for the 50 years that I've known most of the guys and for the 15 years that, I, that I've known Steve and worked together, um, I've never felt any weirdness, any animosity. You hear of all these bands that get in fist fights and they're always, you know, psychodrama all the time and everybody here is on the same page they all just want to make the best music they can to share each other's talents and company and uh and i'm i'm forever grateful that that i have these guys in my life and uh they are one special cast of characters that uh it's hard to come by but time has really uh been a telling thing for us that that a half a century and we're still digging each other and still moving forward there were others we we talked to um well chris franz of course was you know of, of the talking heads yeah. it was great i remember i liked seeing his his background too we read a lot of books <laughs> this year because of the because of our <laughs> because of our discovery of like oh it seems like book people are more available than an <laughs> album people you know it's it's maybe because the pond is a little smaller for uh, for books for uh, possibly i don't know but you know with radio everyone wants to talk to 
you know, a certain artist. I don't know. It, it's different with books for some reason. We had, we did, we spoke to a great, and in, in looking back at looking at the list, we spoke to a lot of authors or, you know, artists that have written memoirs, including uh, uh, Chris Franz, but I loved, loved talking to Dylan Jones, who wrote the memoir, uh, The Sweet Dreams, the story of the new romantics, which is the sweet spot for us. 1975 so, to 1985, just the, the scene in England, in the UK, and that, yeah. I, we loved all those bands, and so just seeing the cover of just new romantics 1975 1985 it's like oh we we I must mean, read this yes so we we dug into that and um and again he became available he's yeah. a sir we talked to a sir dylan jones yes. <laughs> jones do we do we call you sir i think so <laughs> nice <laughs> because you are officially an officer of the order of the british empire correct you know more suffice but you're very kind thank you <laughs> what does that entail you get a nice you get a, a wonderful medal but then what do you get what are your perks what are your club perks literally none oh i had a, a, my agent my previous agent who sadly died um he was made uh, he was from he was from um new york Road scholar, and he was he was made a, a CBE because he spent most of his life in the UK. Big, big literary agent, Ed Victor. And he called me up one morning and said, um, Dylan, I know you have an honor, and I just got this honor, and um, tell me, how do you use it? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't like it when other people use it, but I, I never use it. And this obviously wasn't the, the answer he wanted. And he asked this question sort of like three or four times. You put it on your business card. You put it on your email. You, you put it, I don't use it. And he said, and after a while, as is, was his habit, he said, Dylan, you've been really helpful. I'm going to use it on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I mean, that's it. I mean, or you could be like, uh, that, that was the award that, the, that John Lennon uh, famously threw into the river. Is that? Uh... He only got an MBE. I'm just, I'm just saying. Oh, <laughs> oh, you rank, you rank higher than the B. Nice. Or had he still been with us, um, he would have been knighted. But he, um, I, I just finished writing a piece about John Lennon to celebrate his birthday. It would have been his 80th birthday on October the 9th. Uh, and I was writing about going to the Dakota building about 25 years ago and to have tea with Yoko Ono. And um, uh, I was trying to remember, A, what it looked like, and B, the feeling, the sensation of being in, a, in someone's house like that. When they were... The ghost of them were still there. It was an extraordinary afternoon. Very privileged to have been there. Yeah. So that, uh, they're very cool. Um, yeah. uh, you know, like seeing the backgrounds was yeah. the thing. You know who also had a, I, this was a good one. Who was your Peter favorite Hummel Zoom Hummel. background? <laughs> Which one? Peter Hamilton. Peter Hamilton. Why was that? I'm trying to remember what, what he had. I think he had guitars. He was also, that was a highlight for me too. Hit the song he wrote for us on the spot. But I do have this one song I want to play if I can. Please. I was on Zoom with Holly and Dave. I saw in their faces two folks that were wise and brave. Dave was wearing blue. Holly was wearing white. I could have sat here and talked to them people along into the night. But now it's teaneck time for me. T 
scenic town for me. I've got a grandchild and a daughter to see. Something I've been working on for a while. Oh. By the way, oh, now that I'm, we're talking books, you re I was reading Rolling Stone's favorite music memoirs of 2020. And we talked to two of the artists. We talked to Kathy Valentine and we talked to Brown Mark of The Revolution. He was on the list of uh, favorite memoirs of 2020. And that was a great talk, too. I really enjoyed talking with him. Yeah, I thought you would be giddy when we when we got that one, being the, the Prince fan you are. Brown Mark was the bassist from uh, The Revolution during yeah. our time. He was he was great. He was a really good, good interview. It's such an interesting memoir. Normally, when we do interviews, you get like a, a you know two sheet bio of the band or or the artist you're talking to, and you kind of base what you're you know what you're gonna questions on Wikipedia or whatever you can find. But with books, it was great, especially with like Brown Mark. It was a short memoir, but it was you know like 200 pages crammed full of of info. We kind of felt like we knew him a little bit based on yeah. what he wrote, and so we can it, it really helped the conversation. And and you also tell how during the the Purple Rain tour, you were during sound checks, you were working on the Prince has already moved on practically. He's you're doing <laughs> the around the world in a day type sessions. Is this was that surprising as to which the direction he was headed during the purple rain. Yeah. Was that yeah. We were already on, he was on this Beatles kick. You could always tell where Prince was going by his clothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, like uh, from the 1999, you know, he was into the, the whole Elvis press, you know, you know, our collars were way up here and, you know, everything was big and it was very Elvis, -y, you know, but glitzy with the purple and glam and all that. And then Purple Rain was, of course, about the movie. Yeah. Uh, and it was a kind of a spinoff from the 1999, a more glorified look. But then all of a sudden, he's got the, the bangs, short hair. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? What did we get into here? <laughs> yeah, you know, next thing you know, he's, he's trying to put me in hip huggers and bell bottoms. I'm like, dude, I ain't wearing hip huggers. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, he tried to put me in hip, hip huggers. I mean, like the ladies be wearing where, you know, with the little uh, chain over my, <laughs> over my waistline. And I was like, dude, no, uh, I'm not built like you, Prince. You can't put me in that. I, I'll be looking a little crazy out here. And so, you know, we had a, we were back and forth and he did get me in them, but it, you know, they, they had a waistband. <laughs> It was just it was just kind of connection. We had talked to the Pandoras and Melanie Vammen, um, who was uh, also in the Muffs, is now playing for, with Josie Cotton. And I'm like, oh, we would love to talk to Josie Cotton. And it so happened that Josie had just regained control. Rice back from yeah, her own from from some of her older material and was is getting it out there. So we got to talk to her about that. Yeah, and she was wonderful. I the only problem with Zoom. She didn't realize that uh, we, we like to see these people as much yeah. as we could. I don't know. So we didn't get to see her. So we have to, we had to make do with, with uh, photos that we see. And she's very active on Instagram. So we, yeah. we follow her and we see her pictures and she, she was great. She was a super fun interview, but I do really do wish we could have seen her. Well, Randy Phillips was my manager for years, you know, the Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so he asked me, well, how does it feel to be a, uh, he, how does it feel to be a, a, a sex object? That was like 
And I said, uh, I guess it's better than not being one. <laughs> I mean, if there was some slippery slopes there, I, I don't think I'd answer it the same way now. Did you think about your image or what, like how do you, how you wanted to present yourself on stage and, and on, you know, on, on your albums and well, videos you know, that, or was this I, just, I this is what Josie was. This is who you are and this is what you want. Well, I, I mean, I had so many different personas uh, musically and uh, kind of uh, aesthetically. I, I could have gone so many different directions and music it was a lot bigger mm-hmm. than just, you know, uh, pop music, uh, girl pop and all that. I didn't quite have the focus that the Payne brothers were able to direct me in, into uh, focusing something uh, into something that was part of my history and, and love. But you have to, at some point you have to focus uh, what the, the sound and the look is going to be. You, you have to do that or no one can focus on you. Like if you're like changing into uh, Edith Piaf and then you're like Tammy <laughs> Wynette and then you're like, you know, Brazil 66 and you just have to just uh, not move for a second. And uh, they were able to, uh, they were able to focus me in that, in that sense. They were hugely aware of, of image and, and it wasn't anything I was un- uncomfortable with, but they were wonderful at it. Still a delight. That was really yeah. nice. But I wanted to talk about this strum oh. and thrum. We ended up talking to a bunch of the others. So strum and thrum, which I don't think Dave or I had heard this term before. But this Captured Tracks put out this compilation of strum and thrum or jangle rock. Yeah. <laughs> and it was at 19, what was the year? Is the years 1980? Yeah, it was early 80s. Read 1988, something like that. And yeah. we got to talk to a bunch of the bands that they featured, along with Mike Sniper, who is the, the who has founded Capture Tracks and put this together. We talked to a lot of the artists and that was really fun. You know, it was interesting. A lot of them, you know, were not necessarily playing music or not playing now. Some are still playing and have had success in the music industry, but that was fun. And it turns out, there are a lot of fans out there of this type of music. We had our LA music scene from Strum and Thrum on, on that compilation. I remember the band uh, Downey Mildew was uh, was a band that played around LA that I got to see, but I hadn't heard of any of these other bands. Uh, but, you know, people in, in uh, Philadelphia, they knew the Daros. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we talked to a number of these artists and they kind of told their story in their pockets of, you know, Columbus, Ohio, Rochester, New York, what it was like to, to play there. It was kind of cool. And it brought this kind of this community together of people that, that loved 80s music and, and were in college probably in the 80s and, and love and spun this music at one point. How do you figure the track yeah. order? I mean, why the re- why the reverbs number one? I mean, you got the windbreakers number four. So anyway, what what is your strategy with uh, with track oh, yeah. order? You're, it is science. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, of course. <laughs> Please explain your science. So I mean, the thing is that it is like a batting order, right? So I you know, yeah, like the windbreakers are the cleanup hitter, right? So, <laughs> right. Reverbs. The first twenty seconds, you know what this comp is all about. The whole kind of idea behind it is, is basically laid out in the music immediately like oh, i know what this is you know and then you gotta come the second and third tracks also have to be a beat and then the windbreakers is, is is like mid-tempo and that's meant to kind of any artist who's making this kind of music should do it that way do not open with a slow song unless it's your fourth record right <laughs> 
it's like going to a live show, you know, what you, what you expect. I was thinking, I was thinking two ways, like streaming and side to side, like a record collector or like somebody buys the vinyl versus like, let's say a reviewer who's going to just stream the whole thing to review it or like 20 seconds of each song. And it's like, that's a lot of dangle, you know, right, <laughs> that's, right, a lot, right. that's a lot of strum and thrum. So, it, you know, you, you kind of try to diversify within, I mean, it's not a diverse comp. It's not supposed to be. How do we, let's get a moody song here. Let's get a song. That's a little bit more folk rocky here. Let's get one that's a little more British influenced here. Right. So, yeah, like a new personality is very British influence and it closes it and the reverbs is like completely American sounding to me. That was on purpose. Plus a new a new personality is almost like that song is like uh, end credits of a John Hughes movie or something. <laughs> you know? That that was cool and it was good to bring all these bands together and it was uh yeah, it's kind of like a high school reunion for some some of these <laughs> bands. They hadn't seen each other in a long time. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, well, I guess the last one we'll go back to remember is Joel Graves, because as we end our episode, he was the one who's, who's created this What Difference Does It Make theme music. I don't know what we would call it, the What Difference Does It Make theme song uh, that you hear at the beginning and end and middle of each one of our episodes. Uh, he's just extremely talented in the band. Uh, he's in the band Everest, who uh, apparently, after talking with him, th- this band is uh, is making music again. So that's cool. Yeah, and what a sweetheart! He was such a such a doll, and so lovely, and so uh, easy to work with when <laughs> when he was creating our theme. And he has, we should mention his studio. He's he's now based in New Orleans. His he has a studio called New Monkey Studio in Los Angeles. Yes, he's living in New Orleans right now. But uh, yeah, he's got. New Monkey Studio, formerly owned by Elliot Smith. And Holly now owns one of the caps, the New yes, Monkey Studio cap. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it, yes, they. I, I believe I it's on cap. your Facebook. Is it on your, your personal fl- Facebook page? Yes, it is. If you, are, if you are a friend of mine on Facebook, you have seen me in the New Monkey Studio cap. <laughs> I'm a proud wearer. Much like uh, what I've learned from uh, from our promises from 2019 is I have no idea what, what to expect for the new year. So we're just... <laughs> So we're just going, so we're going to wing it. And uh, our promise is to try and put out, we've been pretty good about putting out an episode every Friday. And so uh, hopefully we will continue that. Recommend this podcast to your friends. (laughs) That happens, you know, I I say comments, but recommendations are are also great. You know, if you can share and, you know, oh, this is a good episode. I I know my my friend Steve will like this uh, this episode on Aerosmith because he that's his favorite band or you know a- anything just um, yeah share it with your friends that's what social media is about right isn't that I, I sound <laughs> yes. like I'm not begging but it's 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 always We're nice kind of begging it it always puts a smile on our face you know how yeah. when it's your birthday and you see all these people come out of the woodwork and like oh yeah this person's still my friend and oh yeah they they took they took three seconds to wish me happy birthday and that's Yes. That's kind of like it's it's kind of nice to uh, to be <laughs> to be thought of for just even if for just three seconds. We love that. So, so we do. So anyway, let's play that uh, the that Joel Graves theme song as we head out into twenty twenty one. Happy New Year, Holly. Happy New Year, Dave. I'm toasting you from a distance, but I am absolutely toasting you as my as my partner. Yeah, so it's, it's really nice. I look forward to uh, spending more episodes with you throughout uh, the, the coming year. Yeah. Years. Me too. Throughout the- well said. <laughs> Years. Yeah. Okay, so until next week, this is Dave. 
This is Holly. Happy New Year. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.